0: And welcome to the Synergy Autism Podcast. My name is Barbara Avila, and I am the owner of Synergy Autism Center, and I'm very excited to offer these podcasts to you. So, Robert Parish. Yes. You have a lot of titles that I am really excited to explore. One of the most exciting things about autism, I have to say in my work, is that I get to meet people from all different kinds of backgrounds and different Um, professions because autism touches all of us. And um, so some of the titles that when I was doing a little research on you know where you're coming from you I have that you're an author, you're a journalist, you're a photographer, editor, producer, independent filmmaker, and autism advocate. I want to really highlight the fact that you've written a book Um, about your journey with Jack. And I'd love to hear a little bit more. You shared a chapter of the book, and I'd love to, I'm very intrigued to read the whole thing myself, but would love to hear you talk about it a little bit. Kind of um, everything from what it was like to choose to write a book, but then also, you know, the depths in it of sharing the journey. Um, The chapter that I read was even about, you know, when he was first diagnosed. um, And then I love some of the things that you talk about how he broke your heart every day, but at the same time you have this amazing appreciation for the people that surrounded him and your family, and this appreciation that I hear from you, knowing you today, of this appreciation of what autism teaches us. So there's kind of a lot there I'd love to hear about that journey with the book and and Jack.
1: Well, the book was a pretty interesting process. The the thing that preceded the book, I did a documentary um, called "Comeback Jack" in 1997.
0: I've segments of that on YouTube. Don't you have some of those? Up? I do. Yeah. I
1: do. And you know, it was an interesting experience. I couldn't I couldn't connect with Jack, um, and that's a typical story of parents and siblings, I was having, once he kind of slipped in to, he wasn't, you know, his situation, it wasn't like a total boom, you know, mm-hmm. like you hear about sometimes where suddenly, you know, one day your child is is different with Jack. It just sort of was a gradual, gradual process where we started to notice some things and as I look back and I've been doing some looking back recently because I recorded so much on video, Mm -hmm. it was pretty obvious that at 12 to 13 months he was Mm -hmm. beginning to disengage. Mm -hmm. And it was a very frustrating obviously um, situation for both his mother and I. And I was trying, even though I had no knowledge I was trying to figure out ways to connect with him. Mm -hmm. I'm very connected with my other children, whether it's through sports or whether it's through just being a dad. You know, I have great relationships with my other three kids, which I'm thankful for. And I'm I'm like the playful dad, you know, I'm the fun dad. and my older boys now, I consider like two of my best friends. My daughter's kind of in between that, you know, where I still get all dad on her every once in a while.
0: (laughs) But it sure makes sense having four children and um, having that be so important. Why those early days or early years, probably, you know, that first year that you wanted so desperately to have that same connection with him. And then um, it just didn't quite go the way that you had anticipated
1: and i was really lucky i tell people this all the time that i had two older boys who i'd done so much of what the dad fantasy yeah. is right with with their sons and so i'm not going to say it didn't affect me but it was muted a little bit by the fact that i'd already been there you know this wasn't my first son and the whole dad dream thing that you know fathers and sons have which really is profound mm-hmm. the fact that i'd been there and done that before helped me cope in a better way with Jack. But back to his, you know, kind of leaving us. I mean, the comeback Jack thing was, you know, at the time that I did that film, the whole idea was to get him, you know, because he was gone. He was, he was there physically, but every day it seemed like his perseverations became stronger, his obsessions became stronger. And this was when he was you know 15 16 months old but back this was 1990
0: wow so that was during a time that autism was one in 10,000 was actually the numbers and so that's a time when probably people didn't know much to be able to support you or be able to give you information you needed
1: it was horrifying actually as I look back on it and compare it to today Um, we didn't want him to be autistic or on spectrum Um, what we wanted was for him to come back you know to snap kind of snap out of it man you know because there wasn't any support when we finally got the diagnosis which you know it's a typical parent story right we go to a speech therapist and the speech therapist I remember said to us you know I think he might be autistic. And we're freaked out because the internet hardly had any information. We finally ended up getting an appointment at Children's Hospital in Cincinnati, which was a great hospital, but had, I can't even remember what the, it was the CCDD, Cincinnati Department of Developmental Disabilities. They had no specific uh you know place for people to go to try to get the diagnosis Mm -hmm. anyway we ended up getting the diagnosis and you know i I mean it was such a a a profound day it was like i remember it was two days before my birthday Mm -hmm. and we sat in this conference room with a doctor who was just had no bedside manner and I can't remember if I wrote about this in the book or not, but, but essentially the message was, your child is autistic. You're going to need to find a place for him to go. Mm-hmm. That was it. And they handed us copies of some stuff from the Indiana Resource for Autism mm-hmm. that you could barely read because the copies weren't very good. And I was just, I was pissed. Yeah. And
0: So your first reaction was anger. Absolutely. At the system. Yes,
1: Mm-hmm. At the system, having that diagnosis back then, especially, was very much like someone telling you your kid had cancer.
0: wasn't any hope involved with it no. at that
1: time. No hope. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and basically, it was just deal with this. Here you go. I mean, I've interviewed so many parents over the years who came from my generation mm-hmm. of of parents with kids on spectrum, but I've also interviewed people from 10, 15, 20, 30 years before, mm-hmm. and that was even more horrifying, yeah. you know, what those people went through, the whole refrigerator mother thing, yeah. oh my God, yeah, oh, yeah, it's just, just it, but it was, it was just, there was nothing hopeful, there was nothing positive, and the more I searched, because parents I'm sure still today, once the symptoms start to present, you're going to start looking, and you're going to start looking on the Internet. You're going to start looking on television. And, and even in 1996, the Internet was slow. You know, It wasn't a lot of information. There was virtually nothing on television. And it was Dan Marino who really kind of sparked the idea for me He was on Good Morning America one morning with his son, and he was talking openly about autism. And I thought, wow, man. And his son, I can't remember what his son's name is, but, you know, he was acting like Jack. He was, you know, he was stimming. He was, like, you know, not focused, and he was looking around. And I thought, okay, that's cool. You know, there's this guy out there who's talking about his son, talking about autism, in mainstream media, mm-hmm. and Doug Flutie, also, uh-huh. you know, because I like football, so I, I knew these guys. And I started thinking, I gotta do something. I gotta, I got to, I really have to make a huge effort to, to get some kind of messaging out there. So I got a new camera. Thankfully, technology had gotten to the point where I could afford to get a broadcast quality camera.
0: In what year are we talking here?
1: Ninety-seven. Okay. Yeah.
0: So still pretty early on. He was about what seven-ish then? Who, Jack? Yeah.
1: No, he was at that point. He was like four. Oh. Okay. He was born in ninety-three. Oh, he
0: was born in ninety-three. Yeah. He diagnosed in ninety-three. Okay. So yeah,
1: born in ninety-three. Right. So <laughs> he was pretty
0: early on after the diagnosis. You decided, hey, wait a minute, I got to get out there and. Start talking about autism.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I knew how painful it was for our family. I was I was upset that I couldn't get any information from anywhere. Mm-hmm. There was virtually nothing on television. The only reference point I had, of course, was Rain Man. Right. And that wasn't a pretty picture. Right. So I made this film, put it together. And I had been working at the PBS station in Cincinnati, and the film basically was completely embraced by them. It went out to PBS. It went internationally. It went just all over the place. And I would be...
0: Congratulations.
1: You know, it was great, but it wasn't. Okay. there's, There's a long, convoluted story about why that film was so wonderful, but, you know, quite honestly, it it led to the end of Group B. It's not something that, you know, is is worth going into, but, you know, the bottom line was that, and I've learned this over the years of my career, when you put something out into the public, mm-hmm. you really have to be careful. Mm-hmm. And I'd set up a website, I'd set up email contact, which was... Ninety-nine point nine percent of the emails that came in were awesome, and I felt like I was really, you know, being helpful. Jack's mom was being helpful, um, but then there was one email that started and just changed everything. And that's really, you know, all I need to say about that. Um,
0: well, you also you put out a documentary at a time. I mean, autism is controversial all the time, but especially then. Um, were you? Was there anything about the film that was controversial from a kind of more society perspective? No, or?
1: no. Actually, it's, it's a beautiful, hopeful story about a family embracing a diagnosis and seeing him get on the road to fulfilling his mm-hmm. potential. It's, it's a wonderful film, and um, I'm really incredibly proud of it. And it was that film that ultimately, you asked me about the book, um, it was ultimately that film that led to the book because because I started getting requests to speak at conferences, and so I started doing that. Um,
0: so were you speaking from the dad's perspective then at that point? Yeah. What, what, were, what were your messages then? Because that was still when it was pretty fresh.
1: Wow. You know, the one thing that... Really was important to me to talk about was keep your family together Mm. because mine didn't, and it had such a profound impact on Jack's development. I mean, I know it affected my other kids, Mm. but for him, the fact that he didn't have both of his parents. On the same page, or even in the same location, uh, just was devastating. I'm not saying he would be a typical kid now had that not happened, but I do know that since things didn't work out, it completely changed the arc of his development.
0: Well, it, it changes if, if you know. I, I meet with parents every day, and divorced parents, and parents who are married, and. Um, It really speaks to the fact that you need to be centered and strong um, to be able to make some of the decisions and be able to really truly be in the moment back to, you know, that piece um, for and with Jack. So I hear you.
1: Yeah, it's tough. And that was my message. That was when I would go, I don't know how many conferences that I presented at. I did breakout sessions. I was really into it for... 6 or 7 years where wow. i was just you know going out and and talking about families and how you know this child came from somewhere right mm-hmm. and the fact that we both were responsible for bringing him into this world mm-hmm. the fact that that fractured was just you know was heartbreaking and, um, so, and, and then the dad thing too, you know, obviously getting into that and, and talking to dads and, and, uh, then interviewing people and doing work beyond Comeback Jack. Um,
0: so so you, you were saying that you went from that movie into then, um, the book. So why did you decide to write the book?
1: Well, I was in Salt Lake City, uh, speaking at a big conference And my whole thing was showing videos and talking about my experiences. And it just happened to be an incredibly big room, (laughs) right, (laughs) with great sound. (laughs) And I was really on. And so after I finished, um, I had been in touch with a couple of publishers about the idea. But ultimately, my presentation was was good and I met with one of the editors at Josie Bass after and we started working on a book and I didn't have time. The one thing you haven't seen about the book is I didn't have time because I was so busy with other stuff to write the whole thing myself. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to everybody that I knew in the autism community to give me a chapter. And so...
0: Collaborative idea especially since really that's what kind of I got from your history with Jack is that there were so many people involved so who did you have write chapters?
1: Arnold Miller and Arnold Miller was truly one of my mentors one of the most brilliant men I've ever met we found out about him and and really come back jack is very much about the language and cognitive development center in boston and we found out about dr miller through dr greenspan stanley greenspan who we cuz that was one thing about our journey with jack is we worked really hard to find anybody we could mm-hmm. And there happened to be a woman in the neighborhood who had a son with a diagnosis, and she was a nurse, and she'd heard about Dr. Greenspan. Anyway, we made several trips to Washington, D.C., and met with him. We tried auditory integration training, which was another part of the cure thing. Yeah. I'm doing air quotes when I say cure, right? <laughs> and uh, But we ended up meeting Dr. Miller, who was who was brilliant, and spent a summer plus at uh, his school in Boston. And it was so incredibly helpful. You know, we had some real Genesis hope. The, the
0: Miller method, right? Where, so he you had Jack up on uh, different um, elevated
1: elevated places. boards. Yes. yeah, yeah,, yeah. Mm-hmm. and we had an amazing teacher, and Dr. Miller was amazing. His wife was amazing. And it was really that that's where the whole comeback Jack thing really took shape. Mm-hmm. you know i had a lot of videos of us at home but but in boston it was it was extraordinary and uh yeah so sorry you
0: know, you know one thing that i'm hearing is that you were really involved with intervention is that true oh
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: um the reason why i bring that up is that you know oftentimes it's moms who end up going to a lot of those appointments and um I try really hard to bring in fathers into that and to really celebrate the fact that fathers have um, this amazing ability to be in the moment and playful, like you were saying. And so what was that like learning from these people as dad? Like how, how was that whole like integrating it into your life or I don't want to put words in your mouth.
1: Wow, that's such a great question. Dr. Miller and through Dr. Miller, I met Stephen Shore who is one of my favorite people, people yeah. in the world and just from from both of them what i saw you know you've got this sign in your office live in the moment and make it so beautiful it will be worth remembering right mm-hmm. and the whole idea of the miller method was taking small little steps mm-hmm we talk about this in the autism community all the time, right? You know, celebrate the little things, right? If you get like 10 seconds of eye contact as opposed to two, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. You know, if your kid says a word and actually know what that word means, what do they call that? There's a term for that, like uh, referencing or there's some kind of term for, you know, in ABA, kids learn words, but they don't necessarily right. know what the words mean, right? right. Yeah. Right. Anyway, Um No, I'm thinking, well, that's a good, that's a good term. There's another word that, you know, we've learned in autism, right? Echolalia. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, kind of back to the being in the moment. One of the quotes that I like from your book that is, to that, is embracing minuscule miracles that take serious squinting to see clearly.
1: (laughs) And that's so true. You asked about, you asked about being a a father of uh, special needs, child, or a child on spectrum, it, it really is a different way of, of being. And what I mean by that is that celebrating the small victories, trying to make connections in completely different ways than you have mm-hmm. with anyone else you've ever met, especially your own kids. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of parenting, uh, let's just call them strategies that I used with you know my three neurotypical kids Mm -hmm. none of them worked with Jack there was nothing I could do so I had to change because I wanted connection with him so bad Mm -hmm. that's really the thing about about being a parent of a child with autism having that void is so powerful and sad Mm -hmm. um that finding ways to get at that and to connect, which again are completely different from anything you've ever done probably in your life. Uh, I talk in the book about when I would play catch with Jack, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't want to play with the ball. He wanted to throw the glove. I'm like, okay, we can do that, you know? But it took me a long time to get to that place. What was your question? I'm sorry. (laughs)
0: I don't know anymore um but what I'm really hearing too is that you really had to access your creativity to then and know what you were really targeting to then try and get at it in different ways which I think um often interventions will tell us to do something that doesn't quite fit with what our um I don't know what I'm trying to ask exactly but um maybe I'll ask it this way, is how did you, how did you make those choices of interventions? If you knew that your goal was connection, was that part of what, how you choose the interventions you did?
1: I think we chose the interventions that we chose because we were desperate, mm. you know, and, and I think that Back then, especially, there were so many things that were being offered as a cure, you know, because the cure, you know, and that that was, that ultimately was what what caused a big part of the fracture in in my relationship with Jack's mother. She was total cure. I was like, we're going to have something that, we're going to have a child that's completely different Mm -hmm. than the other ones, but he can do Fine, you know. Mm -hmm. We just need to love him up and find ways Mm -hmm. to uh, help him reach. It's
0: interesting because I actually see that a lot in my work, Uh, where dads actually are the ones who see long term, but then also really value the connection. Which you know we hear kind of stereotypically that it's the other way around. (laughs) So it's it's been so interesting that yeah, we but we all get really driven in our own ways. I can only imagine how hard that would be on a marriage.
1: Yeah, and I I used to say, and and I really do believe this. It wasn't Jack's autism that created the family mm-hmm. breakup. It was more just kind of two people who weren't on sure. the same page. And yeah. of course, there was a lot more that that happened. But you know, I think there's there's so many threads to this, obviously, and there's so many so many areas that um, we can address. And I've completely lost my train of thought. Thankfully, I'll be editing this. So ask me another question.
0: <laughs> if it's like any of your radio shows now or your podcasts, you'll keep it in just because yeah, it's funny. Probably. <laughs> Who
1: knows,
0: right? Oh, God. So I guess what I would love for you to come back to is um, I'm going to circle back a little bit further you had some things that you wanted to share with other dads in your original um, Comeback Jack documentary, and then this, when, your book. I'd love to hear if you have things in hindsight this many years later. I mean, I know that it's a really different um, uh, environment, autism environment now than it was, but is there anything that you would love for new dads to the diagnosis I haven't heard you talk a lot about denial, for example, which is something I hear at first. Um, But then also anger, I heard. Um, And then trying to have new long-term goals that are different than maybe what you thought they were going to be, but then learning to celebrate those as well. So just kind of wondering in your own words of what, what would you tell somebody who is listening to this podcast and just receiving the diagnosis and is a dad?
1: Wow. I would say that love your child. Just love them up and know that you may or may not have a human in your life who is what you expected. Don't go down, is a term that you used, and I love it. Don't go down the rabbit hole of trying to fix things, I mean, you know, fix to the point of making the child neurotypical, what whatever that means. But it's really about love. When it comes right down to all of it, love and connection and, and looking into what is possible and forgetting all this stuff that's not going to happen. I had a really profound moment when I was writing this book where having raised three neurotypical kids okay kid gets driver's license it's a frightening thought for a parent you know there's so many things girlfriends boyfriends all of the stuff that i had to help my kids navigate through none of them are going to be there and are not there for jack And I think that's worth celebrating, you know? I don't ever have to worry about Jack getting behind the wheel of a car when he's had too much to drink, not gonna happen. I don't have to worry about Jack getting somebody pregnant or or getting an STD, not gonna happen. What I worry about with Jack is his future and being happy, healthy, and safe, Mm -hmm. right? Which we want for all of our children. But for him, it's less complicated in a way, you know, I love my my three other kids, but, but they've challenged me over the years. Jack has too, but in a completely different way. And I think there is something kind of wonderful about that, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And so I think with him, you know, the idea that he has inspired so many people and has sent all of us, including his mother, into places where we never would have ventured. He's made me, and I believe I can speak for my children, a much better human being than I ever would have been. And and that's something that dads need to realize, I think, when they get the diagnosis, that they're going to be on a path that is horribly difficult, just Try, it will try every part of, of your soul. But if you can get through it and focus on the importance of raising a child, you're gonna meet people who are awesome. Mm-hmm. You're going to appreciate things, the the little victories that the little moments in a way that you've never appreciated the depth that comes from, from having a child with autism, um, the depth of feeling, you know, I I need to tell one story when Jack was like eight and he was spending like half time with me and his sister, mom was not around. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I used to take him on hikes, you know, Mm -hmm. how it is when you're a a parent with autism, it's like, okay, you know, I'm tired of him watching videos. I can't, I can't stand Winnie the Pooh for another moment. It's nice outside. What are we going to do? We're getting the hell out of here. And so I would, I would take Jack and Courtney on hikes. And it was always tough to get him to away from the television, you know. And, and so we drag him outside. We got on this trail and it was a sunny day and He kept stopping. And he kept stopping and dropping to the ground, and he would just start throwing dirt up in the air, you know. And he's getting it on me. He's getting it on Courtney, and you know he was obsessed with this throwing the dirt.
0: Obsessed, but not upset.
1: No, no, it was like his. You know, he was. He was. (laughs) Yes, he was very focused. Perseverating, I think, is the right term. And he just kept doing it. And I'd get him up, you know, and I'm getting like, oh, God, Jack, come on, man, we just need to go for a walk. And Courtney, who's 14 months older, is just really irritated at this point. You know, come on, Jack, we're walking. You know, it's great, whatever. And this went on for 20 minutes where we'd maybe take five or six steps. And he'd get down on the ground and he'd throw dirt up in the air. And finally, Courtney was like, this is ridiculous, you know, she's ready to go home, you know, the, the mood of the hike has completely changed into this whole thing. And she, I, I believe, if my memory is correct, she was so frustrated, she got down on the ground and she was going to yell at him, mm. right? And just say, God, you know, trying to give him some guidance. Yeah. And while she's down on the ground with him, he's still throwing up the dirt. Uh-huh. And she starts to look. And she's like, Dad, you won't believe this. I'm like, what's going on? She's get down here. And I went down and got in the dirt. And we just watched Jack continue to throw it. And when the dirt would go up, it would hit the sun rays and turn into gold. (laughs) You know, it's that kind of stuff that's just so powerful. And and I never would have.
0: Sounds like both of your kids taught you something in that moment. They did. Yeah. Did. thank you for listening to the synergy autism podcast if you would like to learn more about synergy autism center you may check out our website at www.synergyautismcenter.com synergy is spelled s-y-n-e-r-g-y and we are updating the podcast there as well so you can find all the episodes there thank you